Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. Micah Hollingworth on the Writerflex podcast. How you doing, Micah? I'm doing as well as anybody is right now. Thanks. Right? You're in, you're yeah. in, you're in uh, well, let's see, I think you live in New York, but you also have a place in Connecticut. So you're in Connecticut today? Yeah, we were really fortunate. Once it was clear, uh, I've got two kids, 10 and 12. Once it was clear the schools were shutting down, we, we bugged out and have hunkered down here and are doing the remote learning experiment. <laughs> yeah, that's fun, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, you value teachers even more than you did before. <laughs> yes. Each, each day is an adventure. <laughs> Isn't that right? By the way, for the listeners, we're recording this on May 7th, 2020, which I would like to think is the back end or fourth quarter of the coronavirus issue. I don't know if it is or not, but maybe we're on the backside. I hope. I don't know. But anyway, for the listeners, that's what Micah is referring to. If you happen to be listening to this podcast a year or two from now, we're, we're in that oh, situation right. and we're you know, Micah and everybody else were all locked down. We're all trying to work from home, do schooling from home. Uh, yeah. are, are they are they getting edgy? Are they getting stir crazy? The ten and twelve year old? Are they like, man, Dad? When can we like go somewhere? Uh, not so much uh, because we can. We've got outdoor space. Like that is a good counterbalance. It's uh, it's just the ups and downs of any given day. Uh, the frustration because the lesson is harder to translate. Or because it is online instruction or, um, you know, your standard technology issues that are just going to happen where something's lagging or it's not working or I can't print this, right? So each day is a series of ups and downs. <laughs> did you uh, go, did you go out, out of your office there and say, hey guys, I'm about to do a podcast interview. So please, can you not be streaming or downloading anything? Is that an issue? Because it seems like that's an issue for everybody. Uh, it can be for us where, where we are like the the bandwidth is not terrific like i don't even at this point in the evenings we don't even try to do on-demand movies from the cable company because they're just not going to come through is right? that right but, right yeah but the but the other services seem to be all right and at least uh this time of day they're both around their lunch break so hopefully knock on wood we'll be all right <laughs> okay very good well, you've already started to share some personal stuff. I appreciate you doing that. Married with a couple of kids in Connecticut. Why don't you tell the listeners just a little about yourself personally, where you grew up, some early family stuff and, you know, college, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in uh, rural Western Massachusetts, and I've always been both a, a theater lover and an entrepreneur at heart, right? So when I was a young kid, my first uh, job, my mother put me to work running the farmer's market stand when I was nine, right? Because who could turn down the, the cute nine-year-old who's trying to sell me some strawberries <laughs> for two bucks, right? Excellent. So nice. I, I figured out the sales pitch and, and how to build a, 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 at least a relationship with your customers early on. Nice. Um, 
And theater was a uh, was another kind of um, world that I I found myself in early on, and and at least in terms of putting on a show or producing a show, it's a lot of the similar traits, right? It's it's its, its own small mini business that you're starting from scratch. That mm. that also in in most cases has a pretty terrible success rate. So I learned early on um, the highs and lows of trying to um, performance shows, produce shows, all that good stuff. So so in junior high, high school, all that you were you were drama theater, you were in plays from the very beginning. Yeah. Yep. Were, were your parents, were your parents, either one of them tied to that industry or that, that, that skill at all? Or no, 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 they were, they're both artists in their own way. Uh, and were super supportive of okay. me, uh, pursuing or of the interest, but okay. it wasn't a, a family thing in terms of being driven from, from other family all experiences right. or relationships. I was wondering. And then, uh, okay. So you must've loved it because, uh, when you went to, uh, the university of mass, you, uh, majored in theater. Yeah, I, I stuck with it, and um, that program actually prepared me pretty well uh, for the commercial world in that it, was a, it wasn't a performing arts program where it was specifically focused on performance. It was all of it. So all, you had to all, learn all, all of, of the yeah. aspects, you know, that, that kind of um, rich generalist, if you will, um, kind of experience where anything from dramaturgy to stage management to Very all good. the technical elements you had to learn. Great, um, great experience, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it, it set me up. Uh, I didn't appreciate as much at the time, of course, being in my 20s and wanting to do, you know, this, the flashy stuff, the, right, the performing, right. Right? Right, right? But it set me up really well, especially in the early days when I moved to a city where uh, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, um, we ran our own theater company for a while and produced our own shows. Oh, really? Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. okay. Very small, the classic kind of small off, off Broadway, you know, hundred seats, 150 seats, but it was a, it was a tremendous experience. And um, from there, I just kind of fell into the commercial theater world, especially after figuring out I'm not going to be a performer. Um, and for the first seven, eight years of my career, I, I, bounced around in a bunch of different kind of administrative or, or um, operations roles until falling into uh, an opportunity at the, now it's called the Lyric Theater, but at the time it was the Ford Center for the Performing Arts, the Broadway House on 42nd Street, Okay, uh, where I was general manager there for nine and a half years. And then I ended up with uh, Jujamson Theaters for seven and a half years as their VP of um, company operations they own and operate five broadway houses so i got the got this pretty deep um experience in right. the operations of the business from either producing a show or operating a venue um and and understanding the broadway's a pretty wall it's a pretty tight walled garden in terms of its business practices and who operates it it's pretty small so i see being able to be on the inside then of course it with that entrepreneurial streak that i shared before it, you know it leads to well we could try this over here but if we adapt it this way it would be all right for the business practices right mm -hmm. because you're not mm -hmm. you're not always going to introduce something that's going to revolutionize the the current business model because that, that business model is working great everybody involved in it is doing quite well it's it's about small and incremental uh improvements or opportunities that then grow into something larger hopefully 
Did, did you think to yourself, so obviously you were great at ops, you were a good leader overall, good, good, solid GM, you know, keep the train on time, make sure, make sure the business is running well. Plus you were tied to your passion, which was theater. So great, great to have that career, right? I mean, you are, you were a great ops guy that loved theater. I mean, perfect fit. Did, did you think to yourself, yeah, this is cool, but I want to start my own thing. When, when was that just kind of always in there or talk to us about how that transition happened? Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think that was always in there to a certain extent. Um, and I, I was, I had a reputation for always kind of um, having an endless amount of uh, new ideas or iterations of, of current practices that we could try in terms of well, what if we tried this or what if we did that. Um, it was, uh, as I as I matured and as my interest um, continued to expand, it just it, it, I would like to say that I set on a on a certain path, but not on a certain outcome. If that makes sense, in terms okay. of I knew I was progressing and learning new things and and widening my experience, but I I wasn't doing it with the intent of oh now I'm going to run my own business right. It's like oh no the opportunity just provided itself and it's like yeah this this feels right so let's try it let's do it. All right, talk to us about how Broadway AI came about. Sure. Go so. Ahead. In that role at uh, Jamson Company Operations, I was really largely responsible for a lot of biz dev projects. So I was meeting a lot of interesting people, pitching a lot of interesting ideas. That's where I was introduced to Satisfy Labs, who's our sister company. They're the tech provider. I see. And Donnie and that team came in and pitched us an idea where for in-venue operations, uh, you could have an AI supported tool where if somebody needed something, um, they'd be able to engage with that AI in, in venue to then resolve their issue. Whether that could be anything as significant as a security problem to where can I find the nearest uh, restroom or where can I find the nearest Heineken, right? If I'm looking for a specific item from concessions. Okay. For Broadway, you know, the, the theater sizes are typically between 1,500 to a maximum of 2,000 seats. They're really small venues. You can see where everything's located. There's typically a staff member within shouting distance. It's certainly within visual distance in terms of being able to see somebody and go get assistance if you need it. So it wasn't as compelling a, an opportunity for us in that space. But with my partner, John Scott, we we're talking in the meeting and we had that. Um, he had that light bulb moment where it's like, well, hold on. What if we actually started to talk about or, or formulate a plan about we using that technology, but to sell tickets in simplest terms, like to take that experience of walking up to a box office window and talking to the treasurer behind the window, initiate that in chat or voice and be able to uh, search for reserve and purchase tickets. Okay. And that kind of set us on our way in terms okay. of ooh, that, that's something worth digging into. All right. Now my immediate thought right there is, aren't there a bunch of places where you go on there? Are there a bunch of apps and, and websites where you can purchase tickets? Okay, go ahead. I know you're going to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, there, there definitely are. Right. Um, I would say that uh, uh, I don't take this lightly because I, I, being on the inside with those APIs now, we see how significant the work is, but I think by and large, every, even the major players would acknowledge that the, the way in which we purchase tickets to live events today is pretty, it's pretty cumbersome. It's, it's not a simple, okay. easy process. Okay. While 
Some may say that uh, they've made improvements or that they can offer a experience that's vastly better. It typically comes at a cost in terms of at a minimum uh, downloading an app, which most consumers are not. If I'm going to see one Broadway show a year, am I really going to download an app to have that experience to purchase the tickets? Mm -hmm. It feels unlikely. Mm -hmm. Or they're a reseller of tickets and I'm now purchasing tickets and sure you've made the experience better, but it is now X times more expensive for me to purchase the ticket than from the primary ticketing provider. Hmm. Um, but for us, in addition to the customer experience, it's also the data that's being generated. If I'm working with a primary ticketing provider, maybe they'll provide me with a, a heat map, right? Somebody gets to my website. Right. Uh, they're looking at purchasing tickets. They're looking now at a seating chart that has every price, every, yep. every possible seat available to them to purchase. I don't really understand or know what that person looked at before they made their decision to purchase their tickets. For us, from a conversational approach, I know exactly what the consumer asked for. I know exactly what seats we served up to them and then whether or not they bought or whether they searched again. And so that data on a micro level is really valuable to the consumer that's searching the tickets. But then as you start to exponentially build that data out with the volume of conversations that you have, you can suddenly identify trends in pricing, trends in um, keywords or searches that generate the outcome you're looking for in terms of the, the ticket price that's being purchased or the number of tickets that are being bought. So the the intelligence, the data that actually gets generated, we would say is, is even more valuable than any ticket sales that are happening. Mm, I see. Okay. All right. And then, so as of today, then Broadway AI, it's not an app you download. No. So we're, we're not a third party. Uh, we're not a public facing brand. We're white label solution. We're plugged directly into the primary ticketing providers we work with. So there's no upsell or cut of the ticket sale going in our direction. Software as a service only. And we live in the shows or in our partners' channels. So this, that would mean the show's primary website, their Facebook via Messenger, all those other channels. So your customer is who then? Who's your, who's your paying client? So our paying client is either the venue operator or the event itself. In some cases, it can be both. I got you. All right. And you're hoping that you establish a long-term relationship, right? For these long running shows where you're just like, okay, this is, this is what you use. You use us for your customers to purchase your tickets. Yeah. It's, it's twofold, right? So it's the, it's the immediate um, client base that we have now, but then of course, if you're plugged into the primary ticketing provider and you now have um, a dozen, two dozen clients all plugged in, in, in a, in a region, let's say, where that information from what they want to know about the show to what's available for tickets to purchase is all easily and readily surfaceable, right? Then you become a little bit of a, you, then we're a Swiss army knife that can plug into a variety of providers to serve up the ability to get information about the client's event out and help them facilitate ticket sales just about anywhere, right? I Which see. is, yeah. I see. Okay. All right. Got it. All right. So, and, but to start this deal, so you had a partner, you, you were, I think you said you had a co-founder and yep. you, you're talking this through, but you had to have a sister company or a partner company because they had the tech or the developers or the software. What, yeah. Talk to me about the, the early stage there. Like, 
So you and your partner are like, hey, we're going we're, we're gonna, to, let, let's be founders on this deal, but we got to give these guys some equity because they're going to be a partner and they're going to do this. Talk to me about the setup. How'd you get it started? So once we, in thinking through the opportunity one, we really like the Satisfy team and their tech. Okay. And then, but it was not um, so unique or exclusive that there weren't, wouldn't be other partners that you could work with in order to provide that. All right. Same service. But for us, there was an opportunity to invest in Satisfy and, and become a, a investor within that company and own a piece of it. I see. So that we're, then we're, you have a voice at where the technology is today and where the tech stack's going to go. And presuming that you're successful in the outcome that we've described here in terms of building this tool that multiple pieces can plug in, if at some point in time there were an exit for that technology provider, we'd have a say at that and we participate in that. Um, so we kind of control our destiny rather than immediately going to one of the larger players or to another player where it was just tru uh, truly a transactional relationship, but you don't own the the circumstances that you've created. Okay. I'm just going to repeat back what I heard you say. Yeah. So ba basically you and your partner invested in this other company that had the technology to build the software to do what you wanted to do with Broadway AI. Yep. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So, so you own, you have a piece of that company plus you're the primary, yep. I'm guessing you're the primary owner in Broadway AI. Correct. With your okay. Got have you had yep. to take, have you had to take on any outside cash? Uh, not beyond the initial raise so far. Again, knock on wood, right? In the current environment, um, we've been very fortunate that way. And the initial raise was you and your co-founder and what? Maybe some friends and family or just you and him or you and your co-founder? It was the two of us. And then we went, we did um, strategic investment from the industry at large. So the people that were going to use the tech were the ones that we went to and pitched the ideas to to get them to invest. We had Great. outside Great. interest that may have been able to it that took a little while right but uh, so we may have been able to move faster with uh third party or non-interest uh, non-industry investors but it would have been a longer curve for us in terms of for adoption so so that's a great this, this is a great tip for the listeners here a lot of a lot of our listeners are aspiring entrepreneurs and, and, and often they're like man how do i get the money how do i get this thing going yeah. so in your case I see how you, you, you developed this. You, you said, okay, I'm not a developer. I don't know how to write code for this crap. So I'm going I'm I'm to <laughs> I'm I'm invest in this tech company over here. And then they're going to build the back end for me. Plus I'll have mm -hmm. ownership. Now I also need some other operating cash. So I'm going to go to the people that I'm actually going to sell this thing to. And I'm going to see if they want to invest early on. Yep. Which you, I'm guessing you probably cut all kinds of deals there. You're probably like, listen, you can use the service for the first year for free. Plus, if yeah. you blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So thankfully, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that way we were very, okay. um, because of the competing, uh, competing interests and making sure everybody, like it had to be, it had to be a very uniform approach for all. Oh, so that okay. Was okay. Not a, okay. Not a okay. concern on that way. And there was no, uh, during the investment conversation, there was no quid pro quo or guarantee oh, okay. of okay. them actually using the service, right? But it, right. it certainly didn't hurt. If they're going to invest and they, that means they see the opportunity and then once it's presented to them in terms of here it is built for you to operate, it becomes a, that much more likely that they're going to use that technology. 
Gotcha. Okay, very good. Now, did you uh, has your cap table gotten so big with so many equity holders that it's a nightmare to manage, or you still is it still manageable? Talk to me. No, it's still pretty manageable. We, uh, in total, we have uh, seventeen investors. Okay, so it, it's right. not too bad. All right, all right. You don't have them calling you every week saying, "Hey, man, where's when am I getting my money back?" <laughs> no, that was the that again. That was another part of our thought process. We made based on what the, you know, Broadway is a high risk, high reward investment uh, opportunity. Right? Okay. All right. So we, when we All went right. in, we knowing what would be a typical kind of minimum investment for somebody as a courtesy for a, for a production for a show, we made sure that we kept uh, our stakes below that so that for them it was it becomes a little bit of a no brainer. Right? It's based on my other investment strategy. This is relatively this is lower than that. It's relatively low risk, and if it works out, there's a really significant potential not just for whatever the exit may be, but more importantly, I think there's the ability for me to control messaging and uh, ticketing for my, my shows directly. So why would I am interested in learning more about that or utilizing it that way. Do you have a, do you have a target for your exit? Like, do you, are you already thinking, okay, this is who's going to buy us someday? No, similar to the other, like that, that all sounds great. Uh, when, whenever it comes up, I'm like, the, yeah, that's, that's all funny. It's, that's all speculative and funny, funny money. It doesn't exist, right? It's like you yeah. stay in here now, execute what is possible to execute and then see what happens, right? Because yeah. <laughs> what I would have thought would be the world six months ago is completely different now. So who knows? You know, it's so interesting. Anytime somebody asks me about that, that topic with the rider flex, you know, I always go, I always say something to the effect of, look, I'm not, this is not monopoly. This is not like a, a board game. I don't want to, I don't want to play fantasy. Like this, I'm just focused on real life right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Funny money. No, not, not interested in speculating. Yeah. <laughs> You've had it going for what, two years? Yeah. Just uh, two years next month. Yep. And revenue is coming in. You have clients. Are you, are you, uh, are you making money or you, 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 can you talk about, it? is it still like, ah, no, we're, we're living off investor cash or you're, you're living, you're living, your revenue's coming in. You're living off your cash. Uh, right now we're no revenues coming in the door. Right. So we're living on what we had been able to bank to date. This was going to be our first, uh, profitable year, which was, in was pretty good. Um, right. we, yeah. we, we teed up well, you know, revenue. So, so, but you were headed towards revenue and cash flow positive 2020 before the coronavirus is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So we, All right. With where our clients are at, building is suspended. We're still providing the service and supporting them because there's a lot of stuff coming in and we're doing the work with, uh, with our sister company was satisfied to build in the additional tools and channels so that when you get to the other side of this, it's, you know, there's this many more options. There's this many more opportunities for you utilizing the tech. You know, there's a silver lining, right? Your, your, your tech guys are having time to do a bunch of stuff that maybe yeah. they wouldn't have had time to do, right? Like, you, yes. you, you know, so there's a positive. Yeah, it, takes, it takes effort because everybody's remote, right? To pull, keep the team focused and to keep people working on a on singular goal or singular focus. But mm -hmm. it, yes, it, there is a, an opportunity here if you can do it. Did you file for your uh, PPP loan and, and, and did you do any, did you do any like EIDL, like, like emergency disaster loan stuff? What, what'd you do there with, I'm just curious. Yeah, we did file for the PPP and that came through. We Great. did file for the emergency disaster loan and, and awesome. 
we got our counter ticket number, if you will, right? <laughs> number, but I had no expectation of when, if or when we would hear from, hear from them. So uh, Okay, well, just so you know, um, so your PPP came in, right? I think the PPPs hit, hit pretty quick. I'm starting to get word from lots of CEOs that I know that the, that the disaster loans are starting to hit. They're starting to hit the bank. So uh, if you got if you got your little confirmation number, it's you're. you're, you're I, I know that's talking to others. I know that that's all important and golden. So I'm like, all right, great. We we do have a number. <laughs> I have no idea where we are in line, but we have a number. <laughs> now here's the, here's the interesting. In the, speaking of silver linings, right? There are going to be some entrepreneurs out there and some small business owners that were sitting around thinking, you know, sure it'd be nice to have a big line of credit. Sure it'd be nice to have uh, an investor give us another X amount of money. Don't even have time to mess with that right now. Okay, boom, coronavirus hits. All of a sudden, the SBA says, now you can file for a disaster loan and you can get you can get some disaster money at a super low interest rate for 30 years. Bam, all of a sudden, the small business owner is like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> and they, yeah. got, they got what they were thinking they needed anyway. So, I mean, they, you know, I just, the reason I'm bringing that up is because of all this stuff that's happened. I, I just am trying really hard to find positives and silver linings and just stay focused and positive, right? I think that's important for business owners right now. It sure is. It's, it, it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy, especially when you're in your line of work, which your entire business is off of people going to venues. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, we'll, and it's already been said, we'll be the, of the Governor Cuomo's, his kind of four stages. We already know we'll be in the fourth. So fourth stage. that means we're, you know, I, I look to, for us, I look to schools in September being the bellwether for what's going to okay. happen for us in terms of returning and starting to, starting to do something. We'll see. So it's tough to be an entrepreneur anyway, right? To be a CEO, a startup yeah. founder. I mean, that by itself on a regular day is super mm -hmm. ass hard. Um, yeah. Tie in what you're going through now where you're, you know, your entire business is, like I said, it's venues. It's, it's selling tickets where people are getting together. I feel for you. First of all, first of all, just let me say, I'm feeling, I'm having an emotional reaction to what, the situation <laughs> you're in. Um, so it's gotta be super tough. Have you had, I'm sure you've had some sleepless nights lately where you're, you're waking up at 3am and going, Oh shit, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but those, uh, to be honest though, if you're, when you're an entrepreneur, those, those are going to come for you anyway. Right? Those are coming. Yep. Um, yeah. There's nothing you can do. Um, the reminder for me or the, the, struggle for me to be if I'm being honest right is to yeah. maintain an even keel don't don't get too too high right when when you've got something that's coming through that's really successful or or has been a major achievement don't get too high mm -hmm. and don't get too low yeah. it, it, it's going to be up and down in most cases it's going to be up and down multiple times in the <laughs> same day and, and you just need to breathe and All continue right. to focus through and try to um, have clarity about what what are we building and what are the, what's the feedback I'm getting on what's been built to make sure that we're not I'm not building something that uh, nobody wants right like make sure that you're you have a good feedback loop and you're providing the service that people are looking for and and good advice. going back to that high and low you you have 
to take all that commentary in and, and be able to kind of constructively sit down and sort through it and find the things that are going to be useful and productive for you to execute on. Mm, good advice. Now, I think I heard you say earlier, you're not taking a salary or you weren't paying yourself. Did I pick up on that? Did I miss that earlier? You, you no, I, I am at the time. I, I am right now, thankfully. Uh, and thanks to the PPP that's able to, right. that's able to continue. Right. But that, uh, for how long? <laughs> Again, we'll see. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm guessing you're not making as much money as you were when you were a GM working for other people running theaters. <laughs> Maybe that, that would be correct. And it, it was, uh, and certainly it was a little bit more secure. <laughs> a little bit more secure. Do you ever have those moments? Do you ever have those moments where your wife is looking at you like, hey, Micah, um, I kind of liked it better when you were a GM for the. <laughs> so, um, that's an, that's another thing I would suggest. Like if, if you're really going to go down this path, uh, if you can really make sure you have uh, a really strong partner, not a work partner, but a life partner, right? My wife is, um, we've been together forever and she is an integral part of my kind of critical thinking. And honestly, it was knowing that in our circumstance with the kids right you're you're really making a choice that's larger than you you're impacting the entire family everybody's at risk so it was a very it was a little over a year of conversations and planning and pressure testing um with her looking at and providing feedback and talking through so that when it came time to actually make the jump to pull that trigger um it was the right decision and and even with the highs and lows since then it there was there's no question that it was the right um choice to make given my circumstances whether that means that that this is going to become x y or z i i again i couldn't tell you right but you're on this path and you see what see what life presents and what the outcomes may be because they, they change on a daily basis. They do change on a daily basis. Really good advice there for the listeners. I, you know, you, you make sure you spend time planning it out, looking at the scenario, making sure your spouse or your partner is on board. You're, you're looking at your cash, cash situation. You're talking about, you know, what's going to happen and you're holding hands together. Just really, spend some time on all that before you walk into your boss at your regular job and say, I quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really think that through. <laughs> For sure. If you, uh, is there any, speaking of entrepreneurial advice, which we were just talking about, any, anything else that jumps out at you that you would say to a listener of this episode that's thinking about starting their own thing and quitting their job, anything else you want to share with them? Uh, sure. I, I assume that that anybody in that position will have trusted friends or coworkers or colleagues who would have some familiarity with the opportunity or the idea that they that they've got fermenting in their head, right? So, similar to what I'm sharing or making the plan with your spouse, <laughs> talking with um, talking with people from that world that you're thinking of applying that idea to, to get their feedback, um, to see, are, am I on the right track? Is there enough there? What are the pitfalls that they immediately raise that I haven't thought of or that I have and I can address this way? Um, 
doing that constant pressure testing and, and kind of idea iteration out so that you're, you're fully flesh out what you're doing is, is really important. Mm, that's good stuff. Let me ask you a couple of questions here as we head towards a wrap up. Uh, if you could, if you could call your 21 year old self coming out of school, what would you, what would you tell Micah? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I'm going to self edit a little bit. Uh, from a business side, I would say be more, uh, uh, be patient. It oh. is going to take time. Um, and that it only happens, uh, one relationship at a time. And, mm, and the value of those relationships are important, mm. often in ways that you don't anticipate. Mm, that's good stuff. One relationship at a time. I like that. Speaking of relationships, I'm guessing you've met some pretty famous people in your life so far. Uh, I have. I'm, I'm, I, I've gotten a little jaded. Jaded? Yeah, I, bet, <laughs> yeah. I bet, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess you've met some really nice people and some, and some assholes. <laughs> uh, just like any other walk of life, people, pe people sometimes are exactly who you expect. And then sometimes they completely surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite. Uh, I got to ask you this cause you've, you've been in the, in the life, right? You're, so, so your favorite, uh, I don't know, movie of all time. If you had to give me one. Oh, favorite movie. Hmm. That's, I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, or maybe a couple, and then can you tie that into favorite actor or actress of all time? That you, since you oh man. So <laughs> uh, I, I've been watching, uh, unfortunately my brain is stuck in all the bad, um, late eighties and early nineties movies that we've been <laughs> watching with our kids. Right. It's like, Now's the time. Okay, here we go. Like, Let's do it. So, yeah. Top of my mind is, you know, uh, Matthew Broderick and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We just got to see that one with the kids. Uh, is that right? You know, it's your, it's like, all right, I remember this. And then, you know, you're just reopening it now for the 10 and 12 year olds. So I'll go with what's top of mind at the moment with my scattered head. <laughs> my wife, uh, we were watching a movie the other night called Blinded by the Light. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a take on uh, this kid who grew up in the 80s and became a Springsteen fan. Oh. And, uh, and I was always a Springsteen fan anyway. So I, my wife was like, Hey, I think you might like this movie. We watched it and it's got all the eighties stuff in there and everything. And there, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I was, I was feeling young as I was watching it. Sure. <laughs> so I can do a good tie in for you there then, because I okay. was with Stu Jamson when they had uh, Bruce's Broadway show. Really? The Walter Kerr. Yeah, did and you get he is exactly what you would think he is. He's a he's just a genuine, beautiful man. Is he? he? That's you know, awesome. He really, uh, awesome. he deeply, deeply cares about his craft. So seeing him prepare and do that show on a nightly basis was uh, a master class of how you should treat yourself as an artist. It was impressive. Pretty cool. That's cool. I appreciate you sharing that. One more question. If you had to put your core purpose and your core purpose in life into a sentence, and I pushed you to, to not tie that to your wife and children, 
because I'm yep. guessing because I'm guessing that'd be automatic. Yeah. How would you define Micah's core purpose? Uh, making connections to try to make the world a little better. Make now see, oh, I like that. Nobody's answered that way before. You, you know, so you, all right. So you've really uh, highlighted for the listeners how important relationships and networking and connections are to success and making the world a better place. It is so important. You know, you're right. I, when I was younger, God, I, I was so cocky and kind of an asshole and thought I knew everything and thought if I just worked hard, that's all that mattered. It's, I just want to encourage, especially anybody listening to this episode coming out, coming out of college or early 20s, these relationships that, you're, that you have a chance to make early on, they are so valuable. I, it's just yep. so critical to foster these relationships as you move along. And you've touched on that a few times here. Um, and I'm guessing many of those relationships that you managed early helped you open doors to get this thing started. The you know, Riderflex podcast features like, entrepreneurs, hey, Micah, business executives, product. and <laughs> the stories behind how they got there, <laughs> as well as daily tips um, on career advice if, if and I'm, job interviews. Our show can be heard just about you know, anywhere these days, it, it, but you can visit uh, riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address Mike, info I really appreciate at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.